This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tom. And you're listening to Series 10, Episode 6 Fire and Earth. And let's start it off with a couple announcements. First announcement, Addie's back. She got her voice back. (laughs) Uh, So we are happy to have you back. Welcome. Uh, The other announcement we have has to do with the Manifest the RPG Kickstarter. We have closed the late pledges, though you can still pre-order on backer kit however uh we haven't charged the cards yet we're holding everyone's payments uh until friday the 19th the reason we're doing that is because we sent out an email to everyone in the chicagoland area asking them if they wanted to forego the shipping costs of the book and instead pick up the book at their friendly local game store, Chicagoland Games Dice Dojo. So we're trying to give enough time for everyone to answer those emails. If you live in the Chicagoland area and you haven't yet responded to the email or you didn't get it, let us know. Uh, Reach out to us and we will happily add you to the list of people who are set for pickup. And on Friday, we will finalize everyone's orders. And those of you who are waiting on the quick start guide and an invite to the Discord, you will be getting an email with all of that information. So just hold out for a few more days. Friday's the day for all of the goodies. And our final announcement is more like a reminder that we have moved some of our content onto Twitch. Uh, Every other Tuesday, uh, this is an off week, uh, we are putting out manifest content for you guys to watch. We do actual plays and uh, you can find us at twitch.tv slash manifest the RPG. Go ahead and follow us so you can get a notification when we go live. And that's it for announcements. So let's move on into Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM is about kind of a combination of Series 10, Episode 4 and Series 10, Episode 5, since we didn't really get to chat about any of them. Though I think our focus for today is really on some stuff that happened in Episode 5, A Drop of Water. Uh, I want to talk about that Leviathan baby. <laughs> uh, that was that was pretty crazy. Uh, obviously, it's a little nuts to try and uh, do battle with a Leviathan. I honestly don't know if you expected us as players to jump on board with that in the way that we did. But we did. And uh, we got to get a glimpse of Leviathans. And they, were, they weren't exactly what I was expecting. Like, it was kind of like... You kind of described it as this, like, blob-type creature with, like, lashing out pseudopods. I mean, like, I've heard that they're, you know, water demons, so, like, it immediately started making sense. It was just, I always kind of mentioned, you know, imagine, like, Cthulhu-esque stuff. Uh, So this was, like, a really interesting and unexpected uh, revelation for me as a player. Well, you have the right of it that uh, they are sort of, like, water demon things, or at least demons that live in the water. 
And uh, instead of making them sort of like Cthuloid, I, I decided to go with something a little different. Uh, and I felt like I had the freedom to do so because, one, it was sort of a, a nascent leviathan uh, a baby leviathan though baby is really a loose term um (laughs) uh, more like new and so it could have formed into anything eventually uh and then the other thing is that the book doesn't really describe them at all it sort of alludes to them by talking about the leviathan hunters and the nets and um that their icker powers the lightning fences but there isn't really any full description of what a leviathan may be in the book uh and that that i think was left uh open intentionally uh to to leave it to gms to decide uh exactly what the what the big bads of this world might shape into yeah i've actually noticed that about uh certain aspects of the book um they kind of give you the surface level like kind of meta knowledge about a topic but they don't delve super deep into it uh for instance like i'm playing uh, a character from the uh region of the world called Tykerosi, and it's not even on the map uh <laughs> there's a map where it shows like duskfall and the dagger isles and all sorts of different like locations where you can choose for your character to be from and then there's an arrow that just points away off the map and says Tykerosi over that way. Uh, and uh, all it says is like people from Tykerosi have like demonic blood in them. So they usually have some sort of like strange features. So, and, and it says you can kind of make it whatever you want. So for Morgan, I made it, you know, ashy gray skin and bright red eyes. But, uh, uh, you know, even poking into like the internet to see if there was like, you know, content online that I was missing, they, they, there's not like a lot of uh, info on Taikorosi culture or anything like that. Uh, and so when I was kind of making Morgan in my head, I kind of decided to um, take it upon myself to think about what, you know, Taikorosi culture is like and what it's like growing up Taikorosi, at least in my own head canon for Morgan, so that way I could better develop her as a character. So it's interesting to hear that there's other elements of the world that kind of are given that same treatment in the core rulebook. There are uh, actually more than a smattering of things that are left that way, and uh, I think it's purposeful. I think that uh, when they were writing this book, they decided to leave a lot of the world open because um, really most of it's limited to Duskfall. And so if they labeled everything and said, here's this street, this is what happens on this street, it doesn't leave a lot of room for stories to sort of like grow and morph into whatever a table needs it to be uh and so things like leviathans or how the college works or how uh the night market is actually structured things like that um and kind of everything in between they they left it open to interpretation so that you could make it your own and still feel like you're playing the game. And Tykerosi is is one of the few things that's a player choice that uh, has fewer things associated with it or less information uh, available for it than everything else. Everything that's kind of left open is is for the GMs. And, and I think it's a really interesting way to to keep the world op- uh, wide open for, for play. And you know, the book does do a really good job of giving, like you said, that certain surface knowledge um, where uh, it's got about 10,000 
thousand things in it that are basically little plot hooks. Like here's something about Lord Skurlock or here's three things about Crowsfoot. Now you have the feel for Crowsfoot, make it your own. Uh, it does a really good job of giving you things to create with and grow with. And it, it makes for a really interesting dynamic at the table because your players can't know more than you, which is also pretty great. <laughs> I was actually just about to say that it does dodge that kind of uh, pitfall in RPGs where, you know, one or more players reads all of the lore and all of the books so they know everything about the world, even when their character might not. And that can be really hard as a player to separate that knowledge out. So uh, there is like kind of a sense of discovery and exploration in Blades in the Dark because the GM can make the world whatever they want it to be. So the players are always on their toes. And it also lends a lot of flexibility to the GM because if something happens, they can be like, well, uh, yeah, let's roll with it. I love that. Uh, and it, it's a really cool way to to make a fluid system that still has a lot of backbone to it and a lot of lore behind it which uh, allows you to make the game your own. And we've certainly done that. I did it with the Leviathans and you did it with the ty being Tykerosi. And I think that's a really cool aspect of the system. Yeah, I can speak to how fun it is uh, being a GM who's running a system that doesn't have a completely explored and written down world. Uh, because when I was running Manifest, there's plenty of things that became canonical lore that uh, were decided on the fly during playtest sessions. So I can imagine Blades in the Dark has that similar level of like fun flexibility for the GM. It definitely does. But our story is far from over. We as a crew have identified that we need to steal something from the church, which is kind of crazy because they're very powerful. But we're going to give it a shot in this episode. So let's move on in and listen to series 10, episode six, Fire and Earth. Enjoy. Hello, neighbor. I'm Brother Theodore. Growing up in Duskfall isn't easy for most, but I've been blessed to have a wonderful life in this nightmare city. Do you have a moment to talk about the Church of Many Tentacles? Our fantastic, legitimate religion has four easy-to-follow tenets that guide our path. We strive to be good neighbors, help the elderly, usher in the end times, and recycle. Using these goals as my compass, I was able to open my own cozy little tea shop in Six Towers. Radich's Tea and Tea Accessories is a great place for the community to find some respite from the endless darkness and daily horrors of the city. Our congregation has been meeting there while we make preparations for the church's most important ritual. After months of planning and gallons of tea, we were finally ready to summon Aralax, praise be their many tentacles, and let them recycle the world. Aralax arrived, bestowed their glorious destruction on the surrounding area, and then disappeared. Just like that, most of our members were recycled. It was only through the grace of Aralax's many tentacles that I survived to continue our mission. I'll admit, I was very disappointed when we failed to usher in the end times, but it was a good first step. I'm rallying the surviving congregation, we're getting out of Duskfall, and we're figuring out our next steps. After all, starting over is just another term for recycling. Hi. They call me Brother Dub. They say one man's trash is another man's treasure. I'm fond of tinkering, and there's plenty of treasure to go around. 
It's amazing. Some of the perfectly fine things people will throw out around Duskfall. It's ridiculous how offended they get when they find me in their dumpsters digging out their slightly damaged treasures. Even a broken thing can be remade, and that's what I specialize in. But it's gotten me into trouble. Sometimes I get so excited I forget to tell people I've improved their treasures, and they don't like that. But that was all before I met Brother Theodore. You see, the Church of Many Tentacles admires my abilities to recycle what I find. It's one of their main pillars of their belief. And for the first time, I, I feel accepted. Now I have purpose, and I can finally make a difference with my talents. Recycling for the greater good. At first, I wasn't entirely sold on the end of the world part. But Brother Theodore kept telling me that the world is just a bigger treasure that needs recycling. And I specialize in recycling. My name is Brother Gawk, and I've never been the luckiest guy. The people at the orphanage used to say I got left on every doorstep in Six Towers. As a kid, I wound up in a gang of street urchins pilfering coins, secrets, and ghostly echoes for the reclusive vampire Lord Skurlock. But no one stays at Ragamuffin forever. <laughs> Eventually, I aged out of gutter sniping and had to go into the pickpocket business on my own. It turned out I had also aged out of not getting beaten half to death when I got caught. <laughs> Until I met Brother Theodore. I was red-handed, but he was just nice to me. He invited me to his shop, gave me some tea, and introduced me to the Church of Many Tentacles. When I was initiated as assistant ritualist, everything felt perfectly set up to give this horrible world the ending it deserved. So how did it all go so wrong? Brother Dirkman. Hi. Look, this won't take long, will it? Okay. I got involved with the church after I fell out with the Abyssal Legionnaires. You know, the hired guns they use on the Leviathan Hunters. They taught me to shoot, I guess. I don't know. The finer points, maybe. It seems to me it's a skill you're born with, but maybe that's just because I'm so fucking good. Whatever. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time beyond the lightning fence. A lot of time. Deathlands will fuck you up. They should have been consumed in the almighty maw of Aralax, you know, just like everything else. I am so pissed that ritual went wrong. <sighs> Oh, this, oh, this is Admiral Quibbles. She was Vice Admiral until just this morning. She's worked so hard, she's earned it. She has, she has. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know pigeons don't have military ranks that we know of. Anyway, yeah, uh, before that, I was just a powder boy. And before that, I was a chimney sweep. Just a bunch of dingy, tiny, sooty places. So yeah, you know, that's why I'm so goddamn cheery all the time. We done? We're done. Well, hello. My name is Morgan, or Sister Morgan if you want to be proper. If you've ever found yourself in one of the many underground poker halls in Duskfall, you might just recognize me. 
I have an easy face to remember after all, seeing as my Tykerosi heritage has left me with this beautiful ash gray skin and striking red eyes. Now I've always had a bit of the gift of gab, a way of convincing others to do and think what I want them to, but even I have to admit, I am burdened with a short temper. A byproduct of growing up among street thugs and gang enforcers, I'm afraid. When I was running with the Bravos, if someone crossed me or my crew, I'd be the first in line to snap them in two. But once I joined the Church of Many Tentacles, I've made a point to follow its tenets in an effort to be a little more neighborly and avoid such unpleasantness when I can. The Church has given me the one thing I never could find with the Bravos. A family that actually gives a damn about each other. So, if keeping a cool head and giving folk the benefit of the doubt is what it takes to be a part of this family, well, that don't seem half bad. Still, every once in a while, someone needs to be put in their place, and, well, sometimes I just can't help myself. The last time we left our crew, they had just finished scouting out and gathering intel for their next heist, which was to steal the moat of earth for their ritual, uh, which they discovered was a sacred basin housed in the Church of the Ecstasy of the Flesh, uh, as well as a demon flame, uh, which could be found in the bell tower uh, of the same church. So they headed over to Brightstone to do a little bit of recon. They had a little bit of a run-in with some blue coats uh, and then decided uh, the best possible way to get what they needed was to talk their way in. Uh, we've now reached the point at which we will make the engagement roll. So let's do it. So you guys get one die for sheer luck and then another because this is particularly bold, uh, planning a heist for the one of the busiest days of the year. Can any friends or contacts provide aid or insight for this operation? Um, Salia did that for you. She's able to get you the membership to the gift shop. So that brings your total to three dice. Let's see what happens. So the dice have spoken. Um, you guys are uh, starting out in a desperate sort of way. <laughs> So the standard operating procedure of this score is, in fact, desperate, which means anytime you're rolling, uh, unless I say otherwise, you are also remembering to tick an XP box in the attribute um, that you uh, are rolling in. That also means that your uh, effect is uh, occasionally going to be reduced by, by your failure, uh, more likely you are more likely to suffer harm or other complications or consequences, and all of those things will be more severe than if you had come at this in a more controlled fashion. What could go wrong? So Sister Morgan has gone into the church service before it starts and has uh, engaged an acolyte who you've been making eye contact with for a while now. In the crowd before the service, uh, you've uh, learned his name is Aldo, and he is happy to see you, it seems. Uh, what are you up to? 
So I am going to, uh, having entered a, a little bit before Gok arrives, I'll wait until I see Gok kind of sulk into the church, and uh, then I will position myself in a way that I can hopefully distract Aldo with pleasant conversation and perhaps just a little bit of flirting in order to uh, give Gok the opportunity uh, to pickpocket him. So I think uh, what I would like to do uh, is use... Uh, a teamwork action uh, to set up Gok for a uh, uh, a chance to pickpocket Mister Aldo, and I'll I'll walk over to him and uh, I'll be I'll say acolyte Aldo, how uh, joyous a day for all of us uh, to to celebrate the birth of the church. I am looking forward to it myself. I don't know about you. Yeah, I am. It seems really cool all these people are here it's like a new experience for all of us well i've just i've just engorged myself on so many different sweets and delicacies today i am uh, full of energy and ready for the ceremony i hope i can find you in the midst of all the haze yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be that would be tight uh <laughs> I I uh I'd be totally down down for that uh you know because like we've only like crossed paths you know up till now so like I'll be looking for you to like you know reach the like holiness and divinity of like emptiness through ecstasy of course. Uh, I am internally screaming at this point, but I am continuing to put on a brave face and uh, uh, oh, continue. You're to... internally screaming, <laughs> <laughs> and continue to uh, uh, flirt with him up until the point that Gok can uh, get clear of him. Uh, okay, so go ahead and roll sway. I got a six. So he is uh, effectively distracted but you're able to dissuade him from glomming on to you until the ceremony begins to make sure that you hook up in all the right ways i'm making my way through the crowd and i'm watching sister morgan flirt with this uh church of ecstasy priest and uh i've had it up to here with this guy and i'm gonna rob him blind i'm gonna take plus one effect rather than plus one position and also, I'm wondering if there's a devil's bargain regarding me also like lashing out at this guy as I as I like I like I want to I'm very jealous of this guy and I want to hurt him. Maybe not physically. Maybe I want to take more than just his key. Yeah. So um, the the devil's bargain is he realizes once Morgan leaves that his stuff is taken. Sure. Yeah. And I have a six. I bump into the guy a little too aggressively, I think, and uh, and I pinch that key. And I don't know if he has other stuff in his pockets. So I'll take that, too. I don't care. <laughs> uh, he has nothing in his pockets that you are happy to handle. As Aldo bumps up against me, I, I will go, now, please wait until the ceremony begins. And uh, I'll give him a little, like, flirty glance and uh, saunter my way away from him. Okay. And take a, a roundabout way of meeting Brother Gok uh, nearby the entrance to the uh, to the back. So it is a door off of the nave. You didn't get to see where it goes. It's like an antechamber. Yeah. So Gok, are you heading directly to the door? 
Um, or are you doing something else? I am waiting by the door. Uh, I think it's conspicuous if someone who doesn't look like they are supposed to be going in through this door does. So I think I'm going to wait for, uh, for Sister Morgan. I, I will go ahead and uh, do a little bit of a flashback here. Checking off my fine disguise kit as one of my three load for this job. I have equipped everybody with the help of Brother Dub, uh, as he is an excellent seamster. We've put together a sort of like reversible jacket for everyone uh, that they can really quickly flip around and button up. And it kind of looks like the appropriate robes to wear behind behind closed doors in this church. Okay, do that. I think that is one stress to gather everything and make all of the the jackets with the like extendable backs so they're long robes when you turn them inside out uh is is broadway level uh seamstering if you will uh so i think that that's enough of a complex action that it will be one stress and brother dub for all of his brilliance is a difficult person to work with at times (laughs) is it an obstacle to overcome to walk into the gift shop and buy a replica stone basin or can i just hand off the one i have already purchased so the um guards do ask you for your membership token uh which you are able to show because not everyone can buy their own basins and other things uh and so there's a church guard there. You show him your membership token that Salia got for you and um, you go in and it is three coin. I will flash back to have collected the coin necessary for this purchase. (laughs) Uh, And I will hand off the three coin and walk out with a replica stone basin. Uh, Yeah, you do. Uh, It's got its uh, little tag on it and everything. You have a receipt. Uh, I will pocket the receipt and I will carefully remove the tag and pocket that as well because I don't see anywhere to toss either of these easily recyclable items uh, and I will make my way towards Gawk to hand this off. While all this kind of uh, shit is happening, uh, we just get a shot of Brother Dirkman sneaking from like building to rooftop to uh scaffolding to to a very like solid a position with a very solid viewpoint of uh, uh the outside of the church um he's going to get comfortable he's in, he's got like a ton of gear on his back uh, like a backpack and a fanny pack and like a mask and he just like looks tactical as shit he's just going to kind of hunker down get a nice little like laying position with his uh very fine rifle nearby and he's just going to kind of wait and as he does so, uh, we see uh, Admiral Quibbles gliding about gracefully on her stubby pigeon wings, uh, and she will alight upon one of the uh, kind of open-air archways at the very top of the bell tower uh, and just kind of flap along. It's not its not abnormal for pigeons to be inside a giant cathedral, so she's just going to flap along and find a little a little position on the on the top of a, a scaffolding and and Dirkman will watch through her eyes up there. Sure. Dirkman, let's see um how easily you can get into this uh overwatch position without being noticed. Cool. I'll roll prowl for that. Okay. Uh I'm going to assist with my foresight ability. Uh and I'm going to uh mark off one of my three load 
to have given Dirkman blueprints of the area to give him the best path possible to get where he needs to be. Uh, and I am also going to push myself, and I'll take my two stress. That's a six. Uh, yeah, so you get there, nobody really notices, and uh, you feel confident as you kind of like rest back on all the stuff you're wearing, So and so it's like a semi-reclined position, uh, that uh, nobody saw you. You feel confident. This is great. Nailed it. <laughs> so time passes on and more and more people te- start crowding into the church. The uh, long benches on either side of the sort of center area are packed with people standing on them, uh, basically because it is really standing room only at this. The, the center area is still cleared out, though there is no basin to be seen. Um yet. They haven't brought it out. It's probably only a short time before uh, festivities begin um, in earnest. If we're going to act, it's going to have to be now. So I'm going to get in position nearby the door waiting for Gok. As he walks to meet uh, Morgan at the door and like, uh, again, attempting casualness, uh, nods at her and is like, hey, (laughs) and tosses her the key. Uh, At this point, I've I've changed my jacket over into my disguise and I uh, catch the key and uh, go ahead and open the door trying to make it seem as normal as possible for myself, Theodore, Gok, and I presume Brother Dub uh, and a pigeon to all duck into this back room. Uh, So I think uh, I'm going to need a prowl or consort from everyone. Except for the pigeon. <laughs> uh, I will happily lead a group action on uh, consort. Well, I got a six. Brother Dub got a two. Four from Gok. Uh, I got a five. So casually, uh, as you're moving through the crowd, you guys are able to turn your jackets inside out. So they are now long robes. Um, someone in inspecting rather closely would notice that you have clothes on underneath the robes, which is unusual. But luckily, nobody's looking too hard at anybody uh, because they're just all so excited about what's about to happen. Um, So uh, you guys, uh, Gawk and Sister Morgan, you're through the door first and you leave it open just a crack. So when Brother Theodore sort of ducks in, uh, you can just open it and close it right behind him. Again, Dub uh, has a little bit of trouble being casual about it, but he just smiles really big at everyone. And and for once, that big old goofy smile is exactly what he needs to to be casual. So so uh, he he gets through the door, and then just as the door is about to close, the admiral swoops in, uh, and uh, and the the door. Shuts behind her. And she sticks the landing. (laughs) Uh, So in this antechamber, it's actually not that big. There's a little stand with a wine glass and a decanter half filled with wine, as well as a scroll as well. There are three hallways um, heading out of this smaller room. There's also a, a back bench and a closet presumably where uh, the robes and shoes are kept and the change of clothes are left. Um, There's also 
a bunch of bottles with levers to make the uh, the their contents come out lined up along the wall uh, labeled with other things like Tuesday and um, in case of incursion and all these sort of like weird things that you don't think there would be like bottles for and uh, then there's also three large test tube shaped vials that are filled with a sort of like moving shimmering liquid um, that Morgan you've seen all of these before uh, in uh, in smaller bottles this is the kind of stuff that they typically pour into the basin and then burn um, but you've never seen them in such quantities or used all at once and they're held up on a rack underneath the bottles with the levers the three hallways, one uh, obviously is a spiral staircase down. Um, one looks like it is a, a wider spiral up, uh, heading at least upstairs, if not uh, much higher up. Uh, and then one uh, leads out into a hallway that ends and is in like a T-shape. Well, I don't know where to go from here. Any ideas? We could send quibbles. Sorry, the Admiral? The Admiral perks up. <laughs> Admiral Quibbles, uh, if you could just take a look down this spiral staircase heading down, uh, I would appreciate it. Uh, the Admiral walks to the edge of the thing and uh, uh, looks straight down. You can't hear him because he's nowhere near you, but Dirkman is going, fly down, you fuck, fly down, fly down the staircase. <laughs> After about like fifteen seconds, he does he does hop and hop and flutter down to the to the bottom of the staircase. Great! So Admiral Quibbles heads down the spiral staircase and comes to a giant room. It's huge. Um, the depth is um, unbelievable. It's Admiral Quibbles can't think this, but Dirkman, you know that like things that deep generally are flooded with like the ocean but for some reason this place isn't and it is filled about halfway with ash with ash with ash in the ceiling uh you can see that there is like a large stone aperture or a lever that that would push a large stone aperture up this room is about the length and width of the nave upstairs, but the the aperture itself is really only that um, corresponds to kind of that empty space where people uh, were surrounding where the basin it would be that le- that people weren't congregating in. Other than that, there's a very old broom, and also you notice that there is a door that uh, can be shut, uh, but is not uh, down at the bottom of the stair. It's a, it is an open door at the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, across from where the staircase is or in the same place? Uh, no, it's in the same place. So oh, okay. at the bottom of the spiral staircase, ah, there is a door that is not shut Great. Uh, that you flew through or hopped through. And that's it. So after a little bit of cajoling, Admiral Quibbles hops back up to the top of the staircase, uh, alights upon Brother Theodore's um, shoulder, and kind of like does a a duck point with her beak until until he realizes that she's trying to tell him to go down the staircase. The admiral says we go down. 
Well, all right then. Uh, and I will lead us down the spiral staircase. So you see the same thing that Admiral Quibbles saw. There's, it's just a ginormous uh, room uh, that is incredibly deep. And I said it was halfway full and it is halfway full. There's no way to tell that it is halfway full, but it is full of ash. The depth of which looking down to the top of the ash is probably like 20 or 30 feet. And the room is the size of the giant cathedral floor upstairs. The aperture is closed. The door behind you is open. And there's a slight small broom uh, that looks like it hasn't been used in a while uh, on the corner. And and there's nothing up nearby the aperture, right? It's just uh, potentially where the ash is dropped from once the basin is done. So uh, it is a large lever that... Um, can be pushed maybe by like one or two people walking in the on a little walkway uh, as they push it. The aperture is maybe like 20 feet in diameter. Um, it's not small. And that's it. That's all that's down here. Uh, it it kind of looks like we just followed a pigeon into a, a ba- basement. <laughs> no, Admiral, Admiral, we're not pulling the lever. That's crazy. There's a bunch of people up there. I think there's a bunch of people down here. Well, what's left of them anyways. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> as, I, as I put my hand out for the pigeon to land, I'm going to look at it dead in the eyes and go, Dirkman, are you in there? <laughs> <laughs> or are we talking to just a pigeon? <laughs> Admiral Quibbles pecks you right between the eyes. All right. Dirkman's still here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think? Go upstairs or down this, this hallway that ends in a T? My instincts tell me upstairs since the demon fire is coming from the bell tower, but maybe there's still something at the end of the intersection. I could also, if I needed to, look around in the ghost field, but it seems like a dangerous time to do so. It might give us the best information. Otherwise, we're just flipping a coin here. I think maybe if you want to try to narrow how much you're seeing, maybe you step a little ways into the ground level passageway. So that way you're not like observing everything you're just trying to see what's gone through that specific area uh sure i'll i'll step to um i'll I'll try to narrow our our choices down a little bit by stepping into the hallway that ends in the t intersection i'm gonna close my eyes focus on uh what was rather than what is and attune into that ghost field to try and get a sense of what's down this way i got a five you uh, are able to uh, attune to the ghost field, and you can see that uh, it wasn't too long ago that some sort of demonic presence or remnant passed by this way. However, what you also realize is that you haven't practiced enough and are unable to disengage from seeing the ghost field and uh, the end of this T, there was once only a left-hand turn. So there is a ghost wall to the right, which you will not be able to pass through. Do I know which way the demonic presence went? Yeah, to the right, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Gawk speaks a ghostly echo uh, uh, in his voice. I see where once the demon fire went, but where it has gone, I cannot follow. To the end of the hall and the right, it appears that they have 
renovated. <laughs> I guess you'll stay here as a lookout then, Gawk. And me and Morgan and Dub and Quibbles, sorry, the Admiral, will follow the path of the demon fire. I will look out, for I can see. I can see everything. Oh, honey. Oh, man. This hasn't happened before. This isn't how you always are when you interact with the ghost field, is it? <laughs> He's always a bit strange when he goes in. I, I can tell you, I've seen it firsthand a few times. Just be glad he's not wearing his mask. Let's keep moving. We're in an unsafe place. <laughs> I'm going to turn around and I'm going to face the door. <laughs> and I'm going to look at it. And if anyone's coming through it, I'll know about it. <laughs> And we keep moving. Okay, so you head down the hall and to the right of the main floor of the Church of the Ecstasy of the Flesh. Um, I guess you're in the admin wing now. So uh, as you walk by, there seem to be a number of sort of like rectories and offices uh, that, uh, that line this hallway both um, behind you and in front of you. Potentially, this is where the acolytes study or live or both, perhaps. And uh, there are uh, three doors beyond uh, where you turn right. There's one at the end of the hall, and there are two on the right-hand side underneath what would be the stairs going up. Uh, It's a narrow hallway. It's hard to walk two side by side, um, but not impossible. I would flash back here. I'd like to, um, during my time, having talked to various acolytes and members of the church, um, maybe I talked to one of the acolytes at one point, and they were just a little more chatty about their kind of living arrangements and really this this wing of the church in general. Uh, And maybe they managed to give me a somewhat of an idea of where we might go or what these doors might lead to. I uh, like ask what their living arrangement in. Uh, maybe as if I was planning on joining the church uh, in a more official capacity at one time. Sure. Uh, so um, this flashback won't cause any stress because you've been spending the better part of a week here. Uh, but what it will do is it will require a role to see how much information you got. Feels like it's probably consort. Sure. Go for it. Do it. I have a five. So... Um, They tell you that the doors uh, to the left down the hall are work slash study areas. Uh, At the end of the hall, there is a stairwell up on the left that leads to the research areas where the preceptors are uh, and the elders dormitories and secondary residences are on the right. There are three uh, Senior church positions, not including the emperor's obvious monarch of the church position. Uh, And that is the head preceptor, the uh, elder Rowan, who is the lead, uh, the leader of the church and a vacant elder position that has not been filled in an extended period of time due to infighting as to who would be the most appropriate. So... You learned that the largest secondary residence is at the end of the hall, which is Elder Rowan's, and the lead preceptor, 
Preceptor Dunville's uh, secondary residence is the second on the right. As to which one of those would hold the demon fire, that is uh, something that you did not learn from them. But the reason you stopped getting information uh, was because there was a gentleman who uh, was also interested in joining the church who started asking you in-depth questions. And uh, while very devout, also didn't didn't believe you uh, and your intentions. And you uh, recall, as you're thinking back, uh, you saw him earlier in the congregation today. You might have made eye contact. You don't remember. So you are going to tick one clock on the high alert. I share that information and I go, so it's just uh, who we think is the one prepping the ritual, I suppose. It's probably the preceptor, right? Seems like the person most likely to have access to demon fire. We go there. (laughs) So uh, you head over to the second door on the right. And as you get there, you can actually see that there's a deep blue light from inside uh, this room. There's like a a small window at the top of the door uh, that's... um, that's like frosted. Uh, and uh, you put your hand on uh, the the door and slowly turn the knob and it is not locked. Great. We go in. Okay. Yeah. So you open the door and you see two people dressed in ornate golden, like almost like a gold lame, like, like golden robes tending to what looks like um, some sort of like fire that seems like it's threatening to rage out of control, uh, though it is really, it's it's as large as a person, though it is being held on a matchstick um, as they are trying to kind of like beat it back and throwing water at it and they're sweating. And then there are two other people in the back holding what looks like some sort of lantern that uh, like a silver lantern that they can't seem to uh, force the, the, um, the fire into. They turn and see you and uh, their struggle, um, which had up till now been sort of like muffled grunts turns loud as uh, the flame turns to, look at you it's not a it's not anthropomorphic but you feel like it's looking at you now and uh also uh the the gentlemen in the golden robes cry out they're like what are you doing here you know get out get out and uh and the flame is like uh so it tries to like reach out to you with its mind and anybody who's looking at it with sentience (laughs) I need you to roll a resolve resist. The psychological harm of um, the need to feed. (laughs) That's a five for Morgan. It's a four for Dirkman. Four for Brother Dub. I got a six. So uh, if you take the uh, take the stress uh, that you rolled or did not roll as you are overcome just just for the slightest moment of wanting to walk into the flame of this demon and drink of its darkness deeply uh, before it, you're like, wait, what? And um, 
Dirkman, I would like you to roll a tune, if you wouldn't mind, or command uh, to convince uh, the Admiral to stay in this room. I'll roll a tune. That's a six. All right. The Admiral has no fear. Uh, (laughs) Is that because of the tiny bird brain or a rock solid constitution? We will never know. So uh, what do you do? I I raise my hands up and I go, we're here to help. And then I turn to Brother Theodore, realizing I don't have a plan for beyond. We're here to help. (laughs) (laughs) I hand off the basin to Morgan uh, and reach into my robes and pull out the tallow candle that Attican gave me. uh, And I will say... um, uh, Rowan sent me, uh, uh, here, let me use this and I will try and capture some of this demon's essence on this candle. What would you like to roll to do that? I'll roll a tune. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to spend two stress to push myself on this. Okay. I also have an idea. We flash back and, uh, I'm speaking with brother Theodore and I tell him, I imagine we'll have to get this candle out in a stealthy manner, and candles aren't very stealthy by nature. Here's this candlestick, and it's more like a staff with like a dome covering on it. This can conceal the tallow candle while still letting it breathe, of course, while not drawing uh, too much attention to the candle itself. And it's telescoping. Good. That was my next question. I wasn't sure how I was going to hide the staff. <laughs> oh, uh, because it's telescoping. <laughs> no, I... I. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I whip out this telescoping candle staff. <laughs> and I say, Elder Rowan sent me. Here, let me use this. <laughs> And then roll a tune. <laughs> okay, go for it. Uh, that is a five. So you uh, extend your arm uh, and and uh, and flip your wrist back, and uh, and this telescoping candle flame catcher um, whips out uh, at at the this flame, and uh, it's only through sheer force of will that you can look at this navy flame long enough as it stares back into you, daring you to consume, uh, that you, uh, that you're able to with crazy precision land the, the wick of the candle on, on the head of the matchstick. And like, even inside, you're a little surprised that you were able to do that. And, uh, there's a, there's a moment where everything is, seems to be frozen in time and nobody moves. There's sort of like a, like a weird pause and everything. And, and you can see, uh, gawk, uh, the ripples through the ghost field of something happening, uh, of these like waves, like, as they're coming towards you. And there's a, there's a roar that sounds like the crackle of fire as the entire flame goes down to a tiny little like matchstick light on this tallow candle. And as you're about to retract it, there's like a sonic boom. And I need 
Dirkman to roll a prowess resist for his pigeon. So you'll roll one die for that resist. Dirkman um, and everyone else, uh, and the pigeon doesn't get to choose whether or not to resist this. It's just resisting it. Uh, Everyone else can choose whether or not to resist the uh, physical harm of blown out eardrums. Uh, It's a level two harm. And you will roll prowess should you choose to. Uh, Except for uh, Theodore and Dirkman proper. As Dirkman, you are too far away. And Theodore, uh, you have been sheltered by owning the candle. That's a six for Morgan. Gox taking two stress. Okay. That's a two for Brother Dub. And a three for Admiral Quibbles. (laughs) Okay, so um, anyone who didn't completely resist... Uh, is thrown into their nearest wall action movie style. And uh, Gawk specifically, you can hear uh, sort of through the ringing of the sonic boom that uh, everyone in the um, nave proper is um, making an increased amount of noise. It's hard to tell. There are no screams, but it's hard to tell if if it's panic or excitement. But the flame uh, goes down to tiny. You retract it back into your... Staff and the the two uh, people in the golden robes are like, what have you done? What have you done? We'll have to go get it again. No, that was, it's taken us three days. Is the basin, the real basin in this room? Yes. <laughs> have they noticed that I'm holding a replica basin? <laughs> I did take the tag off. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably about to notice. I think that's good enough for Morgan. How many did you say are in this room? There there are four people in this room. Yeah, I'm going to make a break for that uh, basin, the real one. And as I do, I'd like to, as if throwing a discus, uh, throw this replica basin into the head of the one that looks the most dangerous to me. Yeah, go ahead and roll finesse. And Gawk, as you uh, stand up from being like sort of like buffeted into the wall, uh, you notice that that conk on your head that you got uh, did knock you right out of the ghost field. Uh, That's a four for finesse. So you uh, throw this uh, replica basin at uh, the largest woman's head and it does in fact hit her, but it is only a replica. And so it smashes across her face and she still, you know, sort of lets go of the basin that she's holding and to grip her face. Uh, But she is not um, knocked out. She is only sort of stunned at the moment. And... um, one of the gentlemen in uh, the gold realizes that you just attacked one of his best acolytes uh, and uh, and begins to to chant uh, in just like this like hideous language that you've never heard. Uh, even even being uh, Tycharosi, uh, this this is the worst demonic language you've ever heard. Uh, I'm gonna just I'm gonna. Punch him in the face as hard as I can. <laughs> so, Theodore, you close the gap on the guy who's realized that things are bad and um, run up and, and punch him in the face. Uh, I'm going to spend two stress to push myself. Uh, okay. 
that is a four. So uh, you connect, uh, and he uh, looks very hurt because you're a big, tough guy. Uh, but um, weirdly, his face is like malleable and kind of sticky. And as you punch him, it's almost like a like a wax feeling, like a like a soft wax feeling, and it starts to burn uh, your hand. And uh, you can uh, choose to take uh, the level one harmed of burnt fist uh, or attempt to resist it. What's the resist? Prowess. Uh, I'm going to attempt to resist it. That is a four. So I will take two stress. uh, And that actually fills up my stress, which I believe pushes me into a trauma. Uh, That is correct. Theodore, uh, you you punch this... uh, person uh this and uh and they sort of like their waxy sort of soft molded persona um starts to glom onto you and 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 it begins to burn and you feel the burning sensation and and it that person sort of like melts away and then you feel yourself also starting to like melt away and what everyone else can see uh, is that you are turning into like a wax form of yourself and you lose your balance and tip over and then melt into sort of a puddle on the floor before you sink into the floorboards. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So your trauma uh, effectively, mechanically, takes you out of the game until the end of the next downtime. So you've got basically until then to figure out what your trauma is. Great. I'll let let out a shout, seeing Brother Theodore seemingly disintegrate, or dissolve, I suppose is a better way to put it. And I'll shout over my shoulder towards Dub, Get the basin! And uh, I will uh, move in to fight the rest of these... uh, Fuckers, until uh, until we have secured the basin. While everyone else was doing reconnaissance, I was preparing various gadgets for this heist, and I will use one of my gear slots to fire a grappling hook at the basin. <laughs> okay. So you're going to fire your grappling hook at the basin to collect it and hold it. Uh, so you can go ahead and roll hunt. Am I able to still use foresight? Yes. It's not explicitly in the rules one way or the other, but, uh, because you get two procession and it's also sort of like a, I've already prepared for this kind of angle. Uh, I'll allow it. It's not, um, necessarily within the broader spectrum of the rules, but I'll say, yeah. Great. I'm going to use foresight. And uh, at one point, while we were gathering information, I came back to the tea shop and I found Dub firing his grappling hook and just breaking crates left and right. <laughs> and so I, I patted myself up with a bunch of like pillows and blankets, <laughs> said, all right, Dub, we're going to try this until you can grab me without hurting. OK, OK, chunk. <laughs> oh. That's not great, Dub. <laughs> you can do better. <laughs> oh, wrong attachment. You can have plus one die. <laughs> and I fire my grappling hook. 
Four. Okay. So you fire your grappling hook, uh, and it latches on, ka-chink, uh, and it pulls it right towards you. And then you realize that you never practiced bringing something actually to you. You've only ever practiced shooting at a thing. Um, so you are entirely unprepared when this giant stone basin whammies into you. And you uh, will be taking uh, the level one harm basin bonked or bonked. Uh, or you can choose to resist it. I think I'll just have a seat. <laughs> so, yeah, it comes, the basin comes flying at you, uh, hits you square in the chest, uh, and you catch it. Uh, but uh, it sort of like rams into your sternum as it does. And it, it hurts. Let's Oof. be honest. It hurts. Oh. <coughs> Driven into a little bit of a a rage, you might say, having seen Brother Theodore, I think, die, I'm going to mark off one of my three load as I draw two blades from under my robes and engage with uh, with all of these, starting with the fella who uh, apparently turned Theodore into goo, but not like the good kind. <laughs> so Theodore was able to crack that guy in the jaw and that guy melted away. So there's only the three guys left and the one you kind of already stunned. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to move towards the nearest person then, I suppose. Okay. And uh, and I will draw out my two knives and I will try to uh, shove, a, shove my knife into like their collarbone and drive them down to the knees. Go ahead and roll skirmish. Uh, that is two sixes. That is a critical. So uh, you realize that these acolytes are not really meant for combat. They they do their magic, but they're not fighters. And so you bring down one of your knives right into the collarbone of the preceptor in gold and uh, just severing many, many arteries um, as you do. And then you almost with a supernatural like effect, you are able to sort of like roll with the falling man and uh, use your other knife to stab the one that was holding the basin uh, and had it grappled out of his hands, like right up underneath the ribs. Uh, and you can feel his heart beating slower and slower against your knife uh, as uh, shocked they also fall to the ground. I suppose there's only one witness left, right? Yeah. I've, I've already started, so I suppose I'm going to kill that person too. Theodore's not around. Why not? <laughs> if Theodore can die, what's the point? That puts me at a five. Okay, great. So, um... It turns out that that person that you initially cracked in the face with the replica basin wasn't doing nothing. They were uh, saying something low and under their breath. And uh, you can hear um, sort of like klaxons begin to go off as you um, just stab them in the throat. But not soon enough uh, as we tick the high alert clock for the final time. And now people know something hinky's happening. Damn it. Why is it always so hard just to be fucking sneaky? I swear. (laughs) (laughs) 
covered in blood, I march out into the hallway as Dub is crawling up from being knocked over by the basin. And I say, get up, we're going. <coughs> and Dub gets up and starts limping. Did, did Theodore drop the candlestick? No, it melted away with him, weirdly. Okay. Uh, I march uh, several paces ahead of Dub towards where Gawk is standing guard. And, I, and as the pigeon flies by my head, I turn over there. I go, Dirkman, if you got any tricks up your sleeve, now's the time. Y'all go upstairs. Have Dirkman shoot out one of the windows. Get out that way. They're coming through the door. I'll hold them off. Like hell you are. I lost one brother today. I'm not losing another. They're just going to chase after you. You need to let me do this. Gawk, now's not the time to be stupid. Get your ass moving. What are you going to do? And I toss him in front of me. What are you going to do? Hold the line for as long as I have to. I'm saying you don't have to. I'm going to uh, pull out a little vial of void seawater that I carry on a necklace around me uh, all, at all times. And by uh, breaking it open in my, in my hand, I, I crush it and like the glass like cuts my hand a little and the void seawater spurts out. And this completes... Uh, this is the final act that completes the ritual that I prepared in downtime earlier. And I'm going to summon my, uh, little slice of Aralaxian ichor from the ether. Uh, you do so. Like out of, uh, thin air, Gawk, uh, sort of breaks the vial in his one hand. And then with his other hand without looking sort of reaches out to like head, like eye level to the left uh, and instead of his hand, like, hitting the wall, it kind of, like, disappears an inch away from it. And he pulls out something uh, that looks like black, like, goop, ichor, maybe. And he throws it onto the... I Actually, I want to, like, plop it down in front of me and then and then squat down and... Hey, little guy, I need a favor from you. <laughs> I just need you to hold that door over there. Just, uh... Just smear yourself over there and whatever comes through, hey, it's all yours, okay? If the goop could pant and, and like, bark excitedly, it would. <laughs> but instead it sounds like an eldritch horror screaming a thousand screams <laughs> as it sort of, like, <laughs> like, spreads itself out over the door. And you guys see this happen. Good boy. All right, let's get upstairs. <laughs> There, there's just so many different emotions that crossed over the face of Morgan during that whole, that whole activity. And then you say that and I go, well, damn, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, kind of uh, flash you a smile as we make our way up uh, towards the, uh, uh, towards the nearest window saying to the pigeon, <laughs> give us a way out. Will you Dirkman? Yeah, Dirkman will go ahead and uh, uh, take pretty quick aim. He's going to shoot out the four corners of uh, of one of the bigger windows. Go ahead and roll um, hunt. Yeah, and I'm going to push myself. Uh, five. Okay, so uh, you, you've already got your first shot packed. Uh, you lift it up and you shoot out one corner of the wrought iron stained glass-like support uh, of this window that you guys have already kind of predetermined as uh, an exit, the, the safest exit roof uh, route because it's the lowest window that, that doesn't seem to be off the nave. Uh, and you shoot at it, 
and uh, then like second, you pour the thing down, you pat it down, you raise it up, you shoot it again, bat, and then uh, you empty it out, you pour it in, and then you pat it down, and then you raise it up, bat. <laughs> and so by the time that they've reached the window, um, you're still like waiting for that fourth shot, and you're like, you pour the thing in, then put the bullet in, and then you da da da, and, and raise it up. Uh, and your gun has backfired. Um, and so there's the the sort of like flash sort of uh, backfires into your face. Um, ah, fuck! And uh, that will be a level one uh, singed face harm that you can choose to resist or take. Uh, no, I'll go ahead and take it. And then you are able to shoot out the other one and it clatters to the ground. Um, you see a couple of blue coats who were running towards the front kind of turn around and look around for where those gunshots are happening. Uh, and so now um, you know that your position may only be temporarily safe. But the window uh, that you guys had chosen as an exit plan is now clear and you guys can exit through if you like. Admiral Quibbles will lead you in that direction. <laughs> I... Uh... I switched the attachments on the grappling hook, a Python-like attachment, and uh, I create a zip line for myself and my brothers and sister. Uh, yeah, so uh, it doesn't really matter much what you hit as long as you don't hit a window. Uh, you can manage that, I think. Also, don't hit me. And I fire it into a building where Dirkman is. And I don't hit him, of course. I, I know what I'm doing. Uh, it is a solid 15 feet off from where you were aiming, but it still happens to be... Uh, Theodore was smart enough when he was planning this to plan for you to shoot at a balcony. Um, and so, uh, so you are 15 feet over on the balcony, but you are still above the balcony which is good enough uh, as you guys exit flying over the street. Um, some uh, two, The two blue coats who see you are like stumbling out for their guns and, you know, pew, pew, but uh, they're uh, not uh, fast enough uh, or practiced enough uh, to, to shoot you guys for that. Um, and I will just need uh, you guys to prowl out of the area. You can do it as a group action, or you can do it individually. I'll I'll take point. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna push myself. I know these streets. I I used to uh, I used to work here uh, all the time when I was with Skurlock. That's a two for Morgan. It's a two for Dirkman. Six for Dub. So I've got a five, and I'll take two stress for their failures, and I will trauma out. Okay. So, uh, yeah, um, Gawk is able to lead you down into some of the uh, abandoned mushroom tunnels below Brightstone. And uh, he's like dropping you down. He's like, okay, all you got to do is go left and then right. And then it's 100 yards and you're out in the aqueduct. There's usually a gondolier nearby. Just wave him down. Give him some money. That's what I used to do all the time. And uh, and you're like, yeah, you're going to be here with us. And and he goes, you know, he goes all stony faced. He's like, no, I won't. And he <laughs> and he slams down the like um, 
the hidden entry to the mushroom tunnels uh, and he pulls pulls a big like bushel basket over top of it and um, picks up a, a nearby like stone and throws it out a window uh, and goes, hey, hey, over here and starts running. And the blue coats are right on his tail. Uh, but he's he like he said, he knows these streets and he's able to find another hiding spot. But then the stress and loss of the day like just overwhelms him. Uh, and instead of being able to return to the tea shop where he knows there will be no Theodore, he collapses in one of his former hidey holes too traumatized to move forward. And that's where we'll end our session. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions, all rights reserved. This series of the Essential NPCs podcast is based on Blades in the Dark, a product of 1-7 Design, developed and authored by John Harper, and licensed for use by EMPC Productions under Creative Commons Attribution. For more information, go to www.bladesinthedark.com.